The sky is falling. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. Are you serious? Are you serious? Folks, August 21st, 2017, there's going to be a total solar eclipse. No, God, please, no, no, no. In just a matter of days, we are going to witness the most unusual solar eclipse in U.S. history. Could it be possible that all of the very strange coincidences surrounding this event have some sort of special significance? The mainstream media has been buzzing about this upcoming solar eclipse for months, and it will easily be the most watched eclipse in all of U.S. history. History. And we will all go together when we go. What a comforting fact that is to know. Universal bereavement and inspiring achievement. Yes, we all will go together when we go. Welcome to the Airzats Coffee Shop. This is Jay the Truth Barista, and I'm serving up a steaming cup of God's truth for the average Joe. You can catch us on our website at thetruthbarista.com, and we're going to talk about culture, current events, personal questions, quandaries, even faith in light of God's truth. Hey, Amazing Larry, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing well, Truth Barista. I, I'm just trying to put this puzzle together, you know. And What a mess. And well, it is kind of a mess. <laughs> I, I bought it really cheap at a rummage sale the other day, but I didn't get a box. It came in a plastic bag. Trying to find the little colors and the lines and everything, but it, it's a tough one. I know. You know, you need that box cover to see the whole picture. You get the whole picture, you can start putting the puzzle pieces together and see how they relate. But you know something, that kind of sparks something in me. Mm, what's that? Well, I do a lot of end time study and I like to focus on Bible truth. And what's funny is when you read through Bible prophecy, Amazing Larry, you see a lot of puzzle pieces. You see a lot of elements to these end time things, you mm -hmm. know, signs, miracles, wonders, events, uh, all the stuff that Jesus has prophesied and Daniel has talked about and John talks about and Paul talks about. And it's really tough for us Christians to get the puzzle pieces to fit together right. And, you know, I see a lot of Christians taking a puzzle piece and trying to force it into the next one mm. where it doesn't really fit. And I think one of the biggest problems is, is they're not looking at the big picture. Do you well, follow they, me? Well, they don't have the picture of the box. Right. Only God has that. Exactly. And God, I've long said that us Christians are on a need-to-know basis. Okay. And that God has given us the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth, but it's an, on a need-to-know basis. He will give us the various truths, but you won't know the specifics until you need to know the specifics. Well, I like the idea that Bible prophecy, eschatology, they call you know, it. That's a very fancy word there you just did. Out, you know. <laughs> yeah. What is eschatology well, there, Amazing a, Larry? It's the study of last things right. or the last yeah. days. So, okay, so this eschatology that everybody has an idea, it's going to happen this way or that way or whatever. So if the Holy Spirit is residing in those who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, why is there so many ideas about this? And it and boy, there are people that are adamant. I mean, really adamant. They, they are crazy over this stuff. And if you 
don't believe exactly the way they do, you, my friend, are a heretic. That's right. And there, in fact, I just heard a testimony about a pastor who disagreed with some people regarding a sign that's coming up in the heavens or a particular sign in the heavens. And they're even stalking him at church and they're stalking him at his house. I mean, talk about scary. It is scary. For what reason? I have no idea, but I heard that same story. So tell me a little bit about why is there so many obvious different opinions about the eschatology or last things? Let me start with two quick things. Okay. Okay. We know that the Holy Spirit says, or Jesus says the Holy Spirit is going to lead us into all truth, correct? Correct. Okay. So there are some truths out there we definitely know. The Holy Spirit enlightens the scriptures that say Jesus is coming back. Okay? Correct. Uh-huh. That's a no-brainer. no-brainer. He's coming back. That's a definite foundational And post. we know with the testimony of a couple of spots in scriptures that Jesus is coming back as the Son of Man with the clouds in the air. Okay, We know that Jesus is returning, and he's also given us, by his own mouth, Jesus has given us indicators of when we're in the vicinity of that event, and when that event is actually occurring, you will see these signs. In fact, this is a great way of thinking about this. We're traveling along a road of time, like a highway. Along a highway are signs, and these signs tell us where we're at, where we're going, and how far it is to the next point. So let's do this. Let me just unpack some stuff with you about road signs and how we can use this and lead into some of the things that we've seen lately that are incredible signs in the heavens. And signs are unique because they're not things that we can do. They're things that really belong to God, such as, let's see, from 2014 to 2015 and 2015 to 2016 on the Jewish calendar, we've had the blood moons. Remember that big thing? Oh, sure. People went nuts over it thinking, you know, we're out of here. Here comes Jesus, right? Well, then we've got the great American eclipse that happens in August. Uh, Actually, at the time of our discussion here, it's going to happen in a couple of days, dude. Right. Okay, so we've got that. And then we've got a sign that's talking about, it's a sign in the stars called the Revelation 12 sign which is the constellation of Virgo, the Virgin, and there are 12 stars, people say, are around her head, and the sun is in that constellation, and the moon also is appears to be under her feet. If you're looking up at the heavens, you're going, wait a minute, that sounds exactly like Revelation chapter 12. Is there something that God is telling us with these three big events? And so I think he is. Okay. And I'll, I'll speculate on that one. But let's talk about signs first. Okay. Okay. So to you, what is a road sign? Well, a road sign tells you what's coming up ahead. So if there's a big arrow going to the left or to the right, that means the, the road is going that way. Okay. So it kind of prepares you, right? It, it gives prepares you. you okay. Right. Well, let me tell you, I've been working on a sermon here that I'm going to deliver to a home group on this one. It's called Bible Sense About Signs. And here's some really cool information I found. First of all, I went to the dictionary. What is a sign? Literally, it's an inscribed board, a placard, or the like bearing a warning or an advertisement or other information and displayed for public view. That's great. So what can we determine? A sign is something that's physical, that's put out in public view in order to give us a warning or information or guidance. 
Okay, that's the literal side. A figurative definition of a sign from the dictionary is a phenomenon, which means it's something that's physical, supposed to portend or indicate good or evil. And it says a prophetic sign. So literally, it's a physical thing that warns you, guides you, blah, 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 highway signs. Figuratively, and this fits in with the Bible thing, it is a warning that comes to you and often in a physical form. Now, does God use signs? Absolutely. Okay, we know this because he said it throughout scriptures. Sure. There will be signs in the sky. Joel talks about the sun and the moon darkening. Jesus says the sun and the moon will be darkened. Stars will be falling from the heavens. This is how people will be reacting to each other. Well, there's and earthquakes and there's famines. Pe- yeah, exactly. Yeah, so there's this these are all signs of the times, okay? Specifically end times. Why do we need signs? Because the end times are going to be so horrific, we need to be encouraged to hang in there because it didn't take Jesus by surprise. He's going, I just want you guys to be warned here a little bit because when you're in the middle of this, don't think this is unknown. I already knew I'm with you in this, okay? You know, I was thinking the other day when we're reading the news or watching the news, things are happening so fast. Every day there's a crisis somewhere in the world. And you compare that to the 1940s or 50s. I was just thinking about that. Go ahead. And well, I'm just saying, it just seemed like, it's like movies. Movies that were made Made back in the 40s and 50s, they move so slow. Uh huh. But then you get the movies that are made today with the uh, computer animation, and it's quick, 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 quick. Everything is moving so fast, and that's the way the world is today. Moving so fast, it's hard to keep up. That's why the signs are important. Exactly. It's coming at us too fast. You need to see these frame by frame. Now, I thought you were going in a different direction because this is the benefit of talking to older people who have lived through stuff. Because there are people who went through World War. One and people who went through World War II, they thought Hitler was the Antichrist. And with World War II, they thought, oh, that's it. It's nation against nation and the whole world's in turmoil and Jesus is coming back. Why do you think there was such spiritual fervor during the, the lead-in of the 30s to the 40s? Because mm-hmm. they saw these things as, these are the signs of Jesus's return. Well, he didn't return. In fact, there are some denominations, some cults actually, that sprang up at that time. Let's, let's put it this way, cults and heretical Christians denominations that sprang up that time saying, Jesus is going to return at this time. Why? Because we've rightly discerned the signs. Well, he didn't. So they didn't rightly discern the signs or they weren't the signs from God that actually bore the truth that something was going to happen at that time. This is why when we look at the Bible, we've got to have the rock-solid truth, the box cover, in front of us so that when various puzzle pieces come, we can see how they fit together or if they fit together. Got it? Oh, I got it. One of the biggest pieces of that puzzle, sign-wise, uh-huh. was the nation of Israel in 1948. That was a huge sign that many Christians overlooked. Exactly. In fact, this is why we have to be students of the old Old Testament as well, because the Old Testament is the foundation of the New Testament, the Hebrew scriptures of the apostolic scriptures, if you want to put it that way, because you can't understand the apostolic scriptures if you don't know the Hebrew scriptures, which the disciples knew 
and were the only scriptures they carried around with them. Jesus did not carry a King James Bible, and neither did Paul. Okay, so you have to understand the Old Testament in order to understand the New. And over and over, the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel talk about a return of the Jews back to their land as a preparation for Messiah to come to actually take up his throne and make Israel the head of the nations. So for 2,000 years, there weren't no Israel out there. So the church mistakenly said, aha, that is a sign that we as the church are the new Israel. That's right. That was called replacement theology. Well, that all went to hell in a handbasket in 1948 when Israel became a nation. Suddenly, the whole underpinning of replacement theology was destroyed at that moment because now there is a nation that Messiah is going to return to. And it wasn't a figurative thing saying the church is the new Israel. It's a literal thing. And that's the danger of puzzle pieces and signs. Is it a literal interpretation or is it a figurative interpretation? And it could be both. Okay, that's kind of weird. Could be both, could portend both, or it's one or the other, and you can't interpret the literal figurative. You can't interpret the figurative literally, otherwise you destroy the puzzle piece. That's trying to twist the puzzle piece and put it in there and jamming it, wrecking the piece and distorting it. You don't want to do that because you want the proper picture. You know, Truth Bracer, you're so smart. It's well, all the I, caffeine. Yeah, I'm going to have to stop for just a moment and try to take it all in and go grab a cup of coffee. Yeah, you want to give me a refill? I will. Thanks. This is The Truth Barista, your link to how God defines our day. Well, hello there. How can I help you? Um, could I have a caramel macchiato, and could I get some extra caramel with that? Well, you know, certainly. You know, I see you around here quite often. Uh, do you live in the neighborhood? No, but I like your coffee. And on Fridays, I kind of sneak in on that little Bible study back there in the back booth. I kind of sit on the other side of the booth and drink my coffee and and kind of eavesdrop. Ah, that's where I've seen you as well. Well, you know, I enjoy those discussions. It's, It's really a lot of fun. So what's that tip jar all about? Well, you know, it's our way of helping the Truth Barista kind of cover the expenses of this free study. You know, he comes in and does this and you know we put it out on the internet after the study is over and other people you know really around the world can enjoy what he has to say so the donation tip jar is just a way for people to help him do all of that well that makes sense I've actually gotten some pretty good things out of just sneaking back there and listening I think I'm going to probably do my part too well thanks that helps a lot Well, here's your coffee, and if you want to stick around a little bit, the Truth Barista's got more things to share. Sounds good. We're laying on our deathbed. You're not going to worry about how much money you had, how much power you had, how much prestige. You're going to see that that was all game, that that was all an illusion. The only thing that's going to matter is the impact you had on other people's lives. Oh my gosh, this Truth Barista is really great. I have learned so much from him, so I have been inviting more of my friends to join me in coming here to the coffee shop. Great coffee and great conversation. Okay. Thanks a bunch. Man, that Sumatra is so tasty. I love it. I knew you'd like it. Well, while you were gone, I looked up a scripture. Okay. Okay. And this pertains to kind of the questions that I brought up about these heavenly signs and things that are coming up. 
I like this from Genesis 1. Let's go back to the beginning, and I'll help you lay a foundation. Okay, great. And as we go, you ask me questions, sure, okay? I if sure I will. get ahead of you. Mm-hmm. Okay, Genesis 1, 14 through 18, but there's a section in here where God says, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on earth. Now, when God started creation, how did he start it on the first day? Well, he just said, let there be yeah, light. Let there be light right. and there was light, which is interesting because here in this verse, he's talking a couple of days later and he's going, okay, now I'm going to make the sun, moon, and stars, hmm. which means light existed, but it didn't come from the sun, moon, and stars. It came from him. It came from him. Ah. See, because before you start working at your workbench, the first thing you need to do is turn on the light so you can see what you're doing. <laughs> Not that I'm saying that, God, yeah, okay. But it's a fun joke. Anyway, it is interesting on this scripture when he's talking about sun, moon, and stars, they have some biblical functions, okay? Now follow me. The first one was to divide night from day. Do, right. the, do the sun, moon, and stars do that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, daytime you got the sun, and at nighttime it's marked by the moon and the stars. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Okay. They were to be for signs. And the Hebrew word for sign is ot. Okay. O-T-H, if you want to put it that way. The primary use of that word is to be a sign or a signal, right? A sign is a signal. There are other uses of this word, meaning distinguishing mark, a remembrance, or used as an omen or a warning or a proof of something. In this sense, a sign is a marker to draw our attention to something. Now, isn't that fascinating? God created his second purpose in this verse is to use the sun, moon, and stars as markers to draw our attention to something. Wow. Never, okay, so, never thought of that. So now we're talking these celestial things can be used as prophetic indicators telling us where we're at or where we're going. Now, a last couple things that are really fast. The sun, moon, and stars are to be used for seasons, which is the word moedim, which means actually appointments. And in a biblical sense, the moedim are the feasts of the Lord. In the springtime, you have a chain of feasts, starting with the week of unleavened bread, and it usually falls at the end of March, beginning of April. It's a week-long celebration that starts with the day of Passover, and then sometime during that week, you have the Feast of First Fruits. And then after the Feast of First Fruits, you count 50 days and you hit Pentecost or Shavuot. The Feast of First Fruits is the barley harvest, the first grain to ripen. The Feast of Shavuot is the wheat harvest, the second grain to harvest in Israel. That, so you have these chains of feasts in right. the spring. But let me ask you this then. Are all these feasts, they have to do with harvest and food. Do these feasts have something to do with God's provision? Yes, absolutely. In fact, in a very physical sense, they're oriented on the agriculture of Israel. But God's going, I've got something better to feed you because, think of this, Jesus was the sinless Lamb of God, and yeast is often used as a symbol of sin. Follow me? Okay, so the week of unleavened bread is a week of sinlessness. Okay, now you get to Passover. What happened on Passover in Israel in Jesus' day, say about the year A.D. 30? Oh, he he was actually killed. The The Passover lamb is killed on Passover. Jesus is the Passover lamb, and he was slain on Passover. So now you're beginning to see a lineup here. 
Okay, the Feast of First Fruits says that that's when you present the first fruit of the offering of the Lord back to him as a promise of a harvest yet to come. So they would take an initial cut of the barley and they'd give it to the Lord in the temple. When did Jesus rise from the dead? He rose on the Feast of First Fruit. It's always the day after the Saturday Sabbath is the Feast of First Fruits, according to basic biblical reckoning. There's some dispute over that, but that's my premise. When did Jesus rise from the dead? On the day after the Sabbath, a Sunday morning. Mm. Okay, so there's two feasts that he's nailed dead on. When did Jesus pour out the Holy Spirit that he promised? Well, Pentecost, which is the feast of Shavuot. It's the wheat harvest. By the way, wheat is used to make bread. Bread is a symbol of his body. Mm. So on the day of Shavuot, which commemorates, by the way, God creating a body of Israel at Mount Sinai. In Jesus' day, it's God creating a body of his people out of Jews and Gentiles on that day by the pouring of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus has now nailed four of the seven feasts to the day. And those have been completed. He's nailed them. And there's three more. Okay. The Moedim that we're talking about, which the sun, moon, and stars regulate, specifically the moon because it coordinates the calendar, the moon tells you when these feasts start and end. The moon starts the Feast of Trumpets in the fall in September. Well, I have a question. Why does he use the moon rather than not the sun? I mean, I know there's the lunar effect and so forth, but I was just curious because usually you think the moon only gets its light from the sun. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm trying to say? Oh, there's so much I could teach there, but let me just give you the quick answer. Okay, I like that. Moon phases. Moon faces? Moon phases. Oh, phases, like a, like a stage. Right. Got it. There comes a point when the moon is obscured by the shadow of the earth and you have the new moon. It's blank and then it turns into a tiny little sliver. As the shadow advances past the moon, it moves to the full moon. And then when the moon gets its shadow coming back again from the earth in its orbit, you get its waxing, growing lighter, and waning, getting darker, okay? That time period between new moon to new moon is a month or a month. Oh, interesting. Month. Month. Huh. And, and so <laughs> that's how the calendar is regulated by the moon, the biblical calendar. It starts with a new moon and it's it ends as it passes into a new, new moon. So in the fall, the Feast of Trumpets starts on a dark moon, a moonth. Moonth. Okay, it moves to its fullness past the 10th, which is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and it reaches its full light on the 15th of that month in the fall called the month of Tishrei. That's when the Feast of Tabernacles, a week-long celebration occurs. So that's how, and it all happens in the same month. So here's an interesting thing that you and I have talked about before. The Feast of Trumpets announces a terrible time of repentance because the Day of Atonement is coming. If you miss the Atonement, you ain't going to make it into God's kingdom, which is tabernacles. So here's the picture. The trumpet blows to announce a warning. The day of atonement is the day when atonement must be made or you miss it. If you make atonement and God does it for you or you go through the ritual that you need to go through, biblically speaking, you make it into the Feast of Tabernacles, which celebrates God living with his people, his people living with him, a picture of the Messianic kingdom. So if Jesus fulfilled the spring feast to the day, could we say that he might fulfill the fall feasts to the day or, I'll be safe, in the vicinity of it? Could the tribulation be announced sometime around the Feast of Trumpets. So, in the fall time, the Feast of Trumpets, which 
kicks off the month of Tishrei, happens usually in September, October. Follow me? Got it. Okay, so that's could be the beginning of the tribulation. Seven years later, Jesus returns on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And what is the Day of Atonement? It wipes out sin and evil. That's the Day of Atonement when Jesus returns on or about, let's be safe, Day of Atonement, and then sets up his kingdom in Israel around the Feast of Tabernacles when that starts. It fits the biblical pattern, but I'm not going to be so heretical or off basis to nail the day. I'm just going, I see a pattern here. I'm going to anticipate a pattern, but as always, I hold these things real loose for well, a particular I, reason. I just love you explaining that, Truth Barista, because I believe most Christians don't understand the correlation between the New Testament and the Old, and you have just done that with the feasts and the coming of our Lord the first time, and of course, it's tied in with his coming of the second time. Let me throw it at you this way. Jesus is sitting with his disciples after his resurrection. It's day 40. He's going to ascend to heaven to be with his Father, okay, and start his intercession for us. His disciples are looking at a resurrected Messiah going, this guy can't can't die twice. This is great. Are you at this time going to set up David's kingdom? Why? Because if he can't be killed and seeing what he can do in signs, miracles, and wonders, he's going to pace the Romans and set up Israel as the, the and fulfill all the prophecies of Israel ruling the world. And Jesus looks at him and goes, ah, boys, um, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons, meaning it's not for you to know when this is going to happen, the start of the kingdom. Instead, I want you to get to the work of the the kingdom. I want you to go and take this message out. I want you to bring people into the kingdom. And previously in Matthew, he said, make disciples of them. So bring them in and mature them. That's your job. And you're going to need the Holy Spirit to do it. I think that's wonderful. And you know, Truth Barista, we're going to have to deal with this next week when we come back and talk about it. But I, what I want you to answer for next week is that no man knows the hour of the day and that Jesus, the scripture says, is going to come back as a thief in the night. So it's going to be a kind of unprecedented time, like the days of Noah. They were not aware that it was going to rain and storm for 40 days and 40 nights when Noah went in the ark. And that's what the scripture says will happen at the day of his return. People will be totally and completely unaware. So I want you to unpack it for us. Let me end it with this. Okay. Okay. When he said to them, you will not know the times of the seasons. Did you know that that phrase, time and seasons, is actually a Jewish idiom for the festivals. I did not know that. So what he's saying to them is, yes, I'm going to set up my kingdom, but it is not for you to know what year or time period that these will be set up on the festivals. So he's actually talking about the fall feast. He's already fulfilled the spring feasts. So he's making, he's going, no, it's not for you to know what particular fall festival time period, what year that's going to happen. That's for you. But on the Olivet Discourse, which is what we're going to talk about next week, he says he actually points to it and says, they will not know. These people alive at the time of my return to set up the kingdom, they will not know the day or the hour. But the implication is they will know the time or the season. I think Jesus is saying the closer the end time people get to his return, they will be able to understand we're in the final year and that we're coming down to, we know we're at least in the seven-year or approaching a seven-year time period of Jesus's return. So we'll play with that next week. Oh, I just love this. I love talking about all these pieces, and there's a lot of things we don't know. But one thing we do know, Truth Barista, that we're going to have a lunch rush. 
rush coming in just <laughs> yeah, a I little. Know. We know that <laughs> yeah, for I sure. See Bobby just came in here and took up his usual spot, so I'll start on the uh, the grilled cheese for him. All right. Well, we'll be talking about this next week. This is Jay, the Truth Barista, thanking all of you who have faithfully made us your weekly habit. Please consider how you can help us by sharing our podcast link, truthbarista.com, with your Facebook friends. The more people we can bring in to this virtual coffee house, the more people will know how good it is to be there. Share us often as you post things on Facebook. Our website is truthbarista, T-R-U-T-H-B-A-R-I-S-T-A, for all you out there, truthbarista.com. Hey, thanks for stopping by the Airzats Coffee Shop. You've been listening to me, Jay, the Truth Barista. Come to the website, truthbarista.com. You can stream from the site, so be sure to bookmark it. And we have a plethora of resources to be found. Don't forget the tip jar. Click on it to keep the podcast perking. There's also an email link for your comments, suggestions about topics, puzzling Bible verses, and even spiritual questions. Thanks for listening to the Truth Barista. Truth Barista.